0: Now, I was just thinking as we heard the readings again this morning, I should take a leaf out of Paul's book um, because as he says his speech before Agrippa, he says, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Um, This might be a long sermon, so no. no. I beg you to listen to me patiently. But our children are in this morning. It's our family service. And uh, I wonder if any of our children like pretending to be someone else. I know there's one or two here, I've seen some young girls wandering around church or jumping around church, neighing and galloping around, they like being horses, who would that be? Uh, And maybe you like playing make-believe at home as well. I want to tell you a little story, it's actually, I wasn't a child when I did this, it was only a few years ago. I went to visit James Krieg uh, during some of the, uh, it was called their Jesus Week at Flinders University And I went to visit James and some of the students I knew there um, to encourage them in their Jesus week. And they have a table out in the courtyard and invite people to come and chat and um, try to encourage unbelievers to come and have a conversation so that they can talk about their faith and who Jesus is. I think their theme for that year was uh, relationship, not religion. It's about having a relationship with God and Jesus being, you know, friend, saviour, teacher, whatever people thought he might have been. As I got to Flinders and approached the table... um, very clear. It was the ES Jesus Week table, but I couldn't see anyone that I recognised. James wasn't there. There were no students uh, who I knew there. And so I thought I'd try something a little different. As I wandered up to the table, I was soon invited by one of the students who didn't know who I was uh, to come and have a chat. I thought, oh, this would be good. They started asking me some questions about what I believed and who I thought Jesus was and whether I had a relationship with God. And rather than just answering their questions, I said, well, tell me about your relationship with God. What difference does it make in your life that Jesus is your best friend? Tell me about that. That's what I want to know. Um, What difference does it make in your life? Now, the problem was that particular ES student was completely lost for words at that moment. They didn't really know what to say. Uh, They had all their prep, come and do an activity here and show us what you think. But they just didn't know how to answer my question. Um, they turned to one of their friends, actually, and said, maybe you'd like to speak with this person. Uh, they'll be much better. Obviously, he was a very keen evangelist. And I said, no, no, you're the one who asked me here. I want to hear from you. What difference does Jesus make in your life? But they were totally frozen in the moment, just struck dumb. Uh, here's one of the best opportunities they might have had all week to speak to someone about their faith in Christ and the difference he makes in their life. And they didn't know what to say. And it was Jesus week. <laughs> Now, eventually I gave up the roost and told them I was actually a Christian pastor looking for James, um, to which the student felt really, really embarrassed that <laughs> they didn't have anything to say to me, and I felt really, really guilty for putting them on the spot and making them feel so bad. But we actually got chatting afterwards, and James did eventually turn up, and we told him what happened, and James followed up with that student a bit later on. And yes, it was quite an embarrassing and humbling time for that student, um, But it was actually okay and they actually recognised just how valuable a lesson it was for that person that day. Maybe a better lesson learned in front of someone who did know Jesus than someone who didn't too. What would you have said? How would you have answered those questions? What difference does Jesus make in your life? Would you have been ready? prepared to give reason for the hope that you have in Christ some of us are more than ready some of us are so keen we're almost annoying (laughs) to other people with our zeal for Christ some of us are probably ready but we're probably a little bit fearful not quite sure what we'll say um, and maybe a little bit worried about what the other person is going to think some of us do our best when opportunity arises Others still might do our best to avoid any opportunity and prefer not to try to speak up because we really don't know what to say. But underneath that is actually I'm really afraid what they're going to think of me afterwards. And we're worried about maybe not persecution, but we're worried they're going to think we're just crazy and out of their mind, like Paul was told here by Festus at one point. We didn't hear that in our reading. We're covering a lot of passage today. Um, It's usually said that the two greatest fears in life are the fear of death and the fear of public speaking. Um, Ash Barty's tennis player, mindset coach, Ben Crow, he says actually the two greatest fears for all people are the fear of death and the fear of rejection. I actually think the fear of public speaking really is a form of fear of rejection because we don't want to make a fool of ourselves in front of others and have them think worse of us, do we? We don't like not being liked, do we? None of us. And so in one way, it's quite natural for us to avoid any conversation that might produce that outcome, that someone might not like us. That's fair enough. But then how often do we go away feeling guilty and sorry and sad that we miss that opportunity, (laughs) that uh, you know, we're told to give reason for the hope we have and be prepared and I just lost an opportunity, I failed again. (laughs) We're not alone in our worry and fear though, are we? Peter himself (laughs) three times denied Jesus nor are we alone in not knowing what to say. I don't think that ES student's the only person who's ever been tongue-tied when asked a question about their faith. I confess, I don't don't always speak up when I could or should. I don't always find it easy. And sometimes when you do speak up, that's the end of the conversation. (laughs) Move on. So you sort of wonder, how do you go about this? But it's actually the same Apostle Peter who denied Jesus three times, who later tells us all to always be ready, to be prepared to make a defence, to give reason for the hope that we have in Christ. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times, you think maybe he learned his lesson. He said, I'm not going to let that happen again. (laughs) Something had happened to him and he realised he's got to be ready and we have to be ready to give reason for the hope. And over the last few years, a number of folk here have actually said how helpful it would be for some help in this area. How do I share my faith? How do I talk about Jesus in normal, everyday relationships? It's one of the reasons uh, we had David Robertson speak to us for our weekend together. It's what he does for a living. He's just natural at it. He's good at it. And some of us think, oh, I wish I could be like that all the time. We don't have to be all like that. You just have to be you and have a relationship with Christ. And you've got a story to tell. And so as I was reading and preparing this morning and looking through chapters 25 and 26, for those who are visiting this morning, we've been going through the book of Acts, we're getting near the end. But as I was looking and preparing for this morning, I thought this is actually prime opportunity to speak directly to that call for help, to help people give reason and be ready to share something of their faith. And before you say to me or think, okay, I'm going to switch off because that's not my area. I didn't ask for that help, Ray. Um, I'm fine going about my own business. Thank you very much. Um, If that's what you're thinking about, you know, trying to go and Bible bash anyone and everyone that you meet, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm speaking to all of us because Peter tells all of us or God does through Peter that every believer should be ready, not fear, but be ready to give reason for the hope we have in Christ. So this morning is something a little bit different. We're not going to go through the passage verse by verse or section by section. You can tell me afterwards if it's helpful or not. But this morning I want to actually encourage us and I pray equip us with a few simple points to help us be ready to give reason for the hope we have in Christ. And we're going to use Paul here in these chapters as our example, as our teacher. Um, And I trust and pray at the end of it we will be better prepared to give reason for the hope we have in Christ. Paul's an obvious person to turn to. He's had lots of practice, hasn't he? As we've been going through these last chapters of Acts, just about every week we've been hearing Paul give defence, give reason for the hope he has, or um, defence for the faith that he has in Jesus Christ. Even in just these last few chapters, he's been asked numerous times to do that, to explain his convictions and his faith in Jesus, and he's never lost for words. So we could learn a lot from Paul. Today, just to give a brief summary of the, the chapters, and we had some shorter readings than the whole chapters, Acts 25, Governor Felix, John spoke about last week. He was pretty cruel and ruthless. He's been succeeded by Governor Festus, who was reputed as having far better skills in his role as governor um, and being less ruthless. Uh, Felix was more likely to uh, sort of just wipe out a whole bunch of troublesome Jews if that made his life easier. Festus, though, doesn't do that, and he doesn't let things fester like Felix did. He took two years to even, you know, left Paul in prison. Uh, He takes action quite quickly. Within just a few days of being in his role, he's approached by, uh, regarding Paul by the Jews and he wants to deal with it immediately. So after two years in prison under Felix, Paul now has another opportunity to defend himself before the new governor. Now Festus may be a better governor, but there's still a problem with Festus and that is he wants to do the Jews a favour. He wants to be in their good books and them with him. Uh, so whether he was aware or not of this plot to kill Paul, This plot's been going on for two years. It's the same thing we heard last week under Felix. Um, Festus gives Paul the option, would you like to go back to Jerusalem where the Jews are waiting to ambush you on your way or do you want to be tried here in Caesarea? Now, whether Paul's aware of the plot, he was of the first one two years ago, I reckon he is again, uh, he says, no, no, look, I'm innocent of everything that they're uh, charging me with and I'm here and I want to defend myself before you. And uh, if there's anything genuine against me, then I'm not afraid of dying, if that's right and just, but let me have my say. And it's at that point that he says, I appeal to Caesar. He wants to go to Rome and defend his cause. He actually wants to speak of Christ there. Festus is happy to have the matter taken off his own hands, one way or the other. So he declares at the end, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Except Festus is a little bit worried about, well, if I send him to Caesar, why should I Uh, worry the emperor with this guy who, as far as I can tell, he's done nothing wrong. (laughs) So he has this opportunity when King Agrippa comes along. Oh, maybe I can get Agrippa to help me out here and write a a letter of reference, a sentence against Paul to send with him to Caesar. So Agrippa arrives and Paul has this chance to, to defend himself before King Agrippa. Agrippa was Herod the Great's grandson. Herod who killed all the little babies when Jesus was born. Those early chapters are Luke and Matthew. Okay. Um, but he's the great grandson. But he knows something of the Jewish heritage and tradition. He, he knows the scriptures. So Paul's very keen to share his convictions and his faith before Herod or before Agrippa. And so he's given this other other opportunity. But at the end of that, Agrippa himself, together with Felix and now Festus, have all said, we find nothing, nothing against this man deserving of death or punishment. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could be set free. If Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been set free at that point. But for Paul, being faithful and obedient to Christ, even if it meant being put in chains and sent to Rome in in chains, was better than being a free man denying his Lord and Saviour. And if you think about it, if Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar and was, and, uh, was set free instead, he may have well been ambushed and set upon by his Jews and killed. And what's more, God had told him, promised him, you are going to testify about me in Rome. So whatever the occasion, whatever the opportunity, God is sovereign over all of this, isn't he? And he's with Paul and we can be sure that he's with us whether we're at uni, at the ES table, or anywhere else, at the hairdressers or at work, and have reason to give, or prepared to give reason for the hope we have in Christ, we can know God is with us. And he's guiding us. He's actually giving us those opportunities. What was it uh, Jesus said back in Matthew 10? And this is Paul's predicament exactly. Jesus promised his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Paul's had that. And you will be dragged before governors and kings. Paul's been between, before two governors and now before a king. You'll be dragged there for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is Paul here. And even as we learn from Paul and I guess consider how we can be better prepared, that's God himself preparing us by his spirit. Nothing wrong with doing a little bit of homework, just not to be anxious and try to get all of our words right the first time. Trust God that he's with us. That's what Paul's doing here and he's had lots of practice so of course he's going to be good at it but actually it's because he trusts the Lord and he's convinced that Jesus is the Christ that he has much to say. He's met with the risen Lord Jesus. And I realise sometimes even as we talk about sharing our faith the first thing we do actually is feel guilty don't we? Because we're not very confident, we don't do it very much. And it might even cause us to question our faith. Paul's good at it because he met the risen Lord Jesus. His life's been changed. Well, maybe if I don't share my faith and I don't feel so confident about that, maybe I haven't really met Christ. That's not my intent today, to make us feel guilty. It may be worth asking that question and examining ourselves. And if we don't yet have a hope in Christ, then I pray today that you might receive that hope, that Christ might actually meet you when you hear all the reasons Paul has for the hope he has in Christ. But also want to encourage us to remember guys like Peter, the Apostle Peter, who I've mentioned before. He'd spent three years with Jesus. He'd met Jesus in the flesh. He loved him. And he even had a revelation from God the Father that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet just have a little servant girl ask him, you were with Jesus, weren't you? you're a friend of his, no, 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 don't, Peter still denied and gave up the opportunity to bear witness to Christ at that point. So let's not be too hard on ourselves, but at the same time, maybe it's good and right for us then to weep like Peter did when he realised what he'd done and to ask the Lord to give us strength and courage when the next opportunity arises. maybe we don't have the same zeal as paul longing for everyone who's, who we meet to, to hear about jesus maybe we're afraid of the consequences if others find out about our faith i'll be less and less popular at school i don't find it easy there enough as it is or at uni or at work i know when i was at school i didn't find it easy sharing my faith most of my school i think i was by year 11 there was one lad who came along who was a confessing christian in my high school 150 boys and two of us proclaimed faith in Christ. It wasn't easy. I think I skirted the topic more often than I would have liked. We do like to be liked, don't we? We don't like to be ostracised. It's much easier to talk about the weather or the football or even just to fly under the radar, so to speak, and not be noticed. But I think the first tip we can learn from Paul is when it comes to those fears and our worries... Paul fears God more than he does man. He doesn't want to be on the wrong side of God. He'd rather be rejected by his fellow Jews and the nations than rejected by God. And I'm actually sure that you would want the same. But with that, Paul's other fear is that those who don't know Christ will never come to know Christ. He longs for them to know the Lord, to be saved. He fears them not receiving the grace of God. And so his fear of God and the wrath of God for himself and others outweighs his fear for those who could even kill him, which Jesus tells us as well, doesn't he? Don't fear those who can kill the body. Worry about the one who can destroy the soul. But even if we get over that fear of rejection, sometimes we just don't even know where to start, do we? telling our story. Have you ever thought, have you ever stopped and thought about your own life and faith story? How Christ met you? How you came to know the grace of God? Was there a particular moment or did it happen over time that you remember receiving God's forgiveness and the joy of salvation? Sometimes just taking a moment to stop and contemplate that, reflect on it jot a few things down, can actually be helpful for us and help us to know what to say when others ask us. If John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, slave ship owner, if he was asked for the reason for his hope, I reckon he might sing it to you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, But now I see, so amazing is God's grace. And in one sense, it's that simple. What's your before and after story? You know those old Weight Watchers ads, the before picture and the after picture? Um, It's a bit like that, but on a whole different scale. Excuse the pun. You didn't get that, did you? (laughs) Too quick. Paul often speaks about his before and after experience, doesn't he? This is the third time we hear Paul's conversion story from his own lips here in Acts. And each time it's a little different. Each time warrants a little more or a little less or something different, but it's all his story. And here in Acts 26, as he addresses King Agrippa, he says, I I tell you from my youth, my manner of life from, he's going way back all these years. That's his before picture. But he's not going to give his testimony and spend 20 minutes saying how he was all in the gutter and drugs and alcohol and all this sort of stuff and then I became a Christian it's all okay. And that's the end of it. Now, it's not all before. He speaks about his before story, but then he talks about the after. What difference it made to his life knowing Christ, how God has continued to speak to him and guide him. Have a look at verses 19 to 23 of chapter 26. Therefore, O King Agrippa, this is where we finished our reading, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I've had the help that comes from God. That's his after story. God has been helping me all the way. And so I stand here today testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. And in between is before and after is Christ. Can't tell your story without bearing witness to Christ. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now if you're like me, and maybe even our young people now, here this morning, you've grown up in church, your parents brought you along, you might not have that same sort of dramatic conversion experience that Paul had on the Damascus Road, but there will be a time as you look back that you can say, what I was brought up in, what my parents raised me and I kept going to church, but there was a point in time where I chose to go, where I wanted to go, where God actually spoke to me personally. And I came to know the grace of God myself. I wasn't just going along for the ride with mum and dad. For me, it wasn't one occasion, it wasn't a day, I think it was more of a journey, but I can remember times quite significantly in about year seven and about year nine, where I knew this was for me, if I can put it this way, where God loved me, where i had received his grace and I was responding to his call on my life in the gospel. When was it for you? Maybe it was around the time of your baptism or some time of confirmation of your faith or a youth group event or a journey in life. Maybe you'd gone off somewhere and then God brought you back. We heard testimony of that at a couple of baptisms a little while ago. Another church, but the girls had grown up in the youth group here. And what is it now, the after, that keeps you coming to church? What are you clinging to? What's the hope that you have in Christ that keeps you trusting in God? What words would you use for your before and after story? For John Newton, I was lost, I'm found. I was blind, I see. For me, I think it would be a simple... I was raised in a... Well, went to church, not necessarily a Christian home. But I think as I look back over that journey, certain time in my life where I just felt unloved. But then as I came to know God, I felt loved. That's just two simple words. That's my before and after story. Maybe you felt alone and then you felt belong could be as simple as that i'm not saying my parents didn't love me i know they did but as a young lad and i was middle not quite middle child but middle boy um helped muddy the waters i didn't always feel loved but there was something in the gospel and something in christ and what i've been hearing that i knew i was loved and that was attractive to me if i can put it that way And then I remember hearing and learning about God's promise in Romans 5 of that sure hope that doesn't disappoint. And that's kept me through the years. Paul had a different story, didn't he? Jesus said to him at one point, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's what we hear in his testimony here. I don't know if Paul felt he was kicking against the goads. He thought he was doing a good and right thing. But at the same time, it wasn't all easy. And Jesus says to him in, his, in that Damascus Road experience, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what's a goad? Young people here probably don't know what a goad is. It's like a cattle prod. Not an electric one, but a long stick with a little pointy end on it. And uh, it was used by the farmer or the one driving the oxen to keep them going in a straight line. And if you pushed against it, he'd give you another little nudge, another little poke, spike, and get you back on line. If you kick against that, what's going to happen? He's going to keep training you, (laughs) disciplining you and putting you back. That's what was happening to Paul. It's hard to keep on kicking against the goads rather than being trained by the discipline of God. And we might not be kicking at them like Paul was, but I know there were times in my life where I just wanted to veer off the path a little bit and do my own thing, even if just by a little degree. And so God very gently and sometimes... Not so gently. (laughs) Work me back, back in line, time and time again. It's part of my story too. We're all prone to wander, aren't we? We all, some, or not always, but sometimes we think the grass is greener. God's a killjoy. He just doesn't let me have any fun. And I just want to do a little bit of what the world's doing. Have some fun. No, no, back in here. This is where life is. This is where freedom is. This is where my blessing is. It's not easy out there you think it is but it's not it's better when you're here and so rather than kicking against the goads what does jesus tell us to do come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and that brings us to another key lesson here i think from paul we've heard about fearing of god over man We've heard about telling his before and after story. But with that and often at the pivot point of that story is the promise of God or promises of God. Promises that we put our hope in, promises that we've experienced ourselves, fulfilled in Christ in our own lives. In the middle of Paul's defence here in chapter 6, sorry, chapter 26, verse 6, Paul tells the king standing before him on trial that it's because of his hope in the promise made by God to his fathers that he's standing there. He's not talking about a new promise, he's talking about one centuries old. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that promise of land and blessing and inheritance. But it also included the blessing to the Gentiles, the light to the nations to which Paul has been called to and is so eager to shine. Paul's hope and faith is secured in the promises of God who is faithful what promises of god do we stand in do you stand in personally there's a whole lot that are very broad that include us all but i'm sure for many of us there's one or two that really ring true and we cling to and together with what paul's writing about there with abraham isaac and jacob he's also spoken often about the hope and the resurrection there's a promise isn't there Christ has been raised from the dead and we will be raised with him. There's a promise to hope in, a promise to share with others. And I think whilst we like the idea of God fulfilling his promises to us personally, and he does, so many of his promises are far broader than that and include all of us, all who come to him in faith. With the hope in the resurrection, we can know we can share with others that we believe we trust there is a time when justice will be served truly and totally, where there'll be no more suffering. That the world, what did um David Robertson shared about hope for creation, you know, climate change. The world's not going to end with a big kafut. It's going to end with a banquet, a wedding banquet. We have that hope in Christ in life. What promises of God? do we know and trust him? And I think to answer that question, we actually need to read the scriptures, not just come up with things that we want God to fulfill, but actually know what God has promised and lean in on that. And there's so much that he's promised and has already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Which brings us, or me, to our fourth and final point. And I believe this one's essential if we're ever going to be ready to give reason for our hope in Christ. Fear God, more than man before and after promises of god but finally and i think it's peter who gives us a clue a really big clue how to best be prepared many of you will know the verse from first peter that i've mentioned today already that we are to be prepared ready to give reason for the hope we have in christ it comes from first peter three and to do that with gentleness and respect But so often as we know that verse, we actually forget the first part of it. Do you know what it is? It's in the context of exactly what we've been talking about. When we're a little frightened of the consequences of speaking about our faith and Peter tells us, don't fear, don't be troubled. Instead, be ready to give reason for the hope that we have in Christ. But the first thing he says, and I think it's the most important thing, the very basis of our faith, the right fear and the right hope is this. He says, in your heart, verse 15, honour Christ the Lord as holy. We won't have a hope in this life if we haven't honoured Christ as holy, as Lord. If we're going to be ready to give reason for the hope we have to anybody, we must first honour Christ as holy fearing him with reverence and awe as Lord and King above all powers and authorities and also as our Saviour, sent by God, set apart by God and now at his right hand. And part of recognising and honouring Christ as holy is that we actually stand before him as sinful and unholy, recognising who we are Honouring Christ as holy includes recognising that we of ourselves, we are in desperate need of his grace and his love and his mercy. And it includes also having grateful hearts, the amazing lengths that God has gone to, that we too could actually be washed clean and made holy in his presence. As Paul declares here, God sent his son to open the eyes of the blind so that they might turn from darkness to light. That's what he's done for each and every one of us. From the power of Satan to God, that we might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, those who have been made holy by faith in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's story. That's your story if you confess faith in Christ. Your eyes have been opened out of darkness into light from the power of Satan to the power of God once unholy and now sanctified in Christ. That's your story. And as we even think about telling our story, as we honour Christ as holy, we actually only have a story, not because we're good authors or have a good story to tell or are good storytellers. We have a story because the author of life has come to us. And he's embraced us and written us into his story of salvation, into his family, through Christ. If we don't honour Christ as holy, we will never know that. And we'll never know how to answer anyone who asks us to give reason for the hope we have. But when we do, when we know Christ, when we honour him for who he is, And all that he's done for us, when God opens our eyes and brings us into the light, we will have something to say. You have got a story to tell. It's your own personal story, but it's also part of a whole book of stories. God's story, actually. A story which needs to be told over and over again, because it's not about us, actually. It's about the love and the grace of God that he's shown us. So don't be afraid, as Peter says here in that chapter, who's there to harm us if we're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Don't fear them. Don't be troubled. So don't be afraid. Think about what your before and after story is. Just two words might describe before and after you knew Christ. How has the gospel transformed your life? what promises of God do you trust him that you know are fulfilled in Christ and continue to hope in after all faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see we need to hear that today because there's so much people wanting evidence and things they can see faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see it's not to say it's unreasonable and finally and first of all really is honour Christ as holy. Revere him and you will have a story to tell. You'll be ready to give reason for the hope you have in Christ as we heard earlier, the spirit actually works in us and gives us what to say. Next week, Paul sets sail for Rome. Having given reason for the hope he has, off to Rome he goes, still in chains and there's a storm and there's a shipwreck. And maybe that's what will happen to us as we go out this week, ready to give reason for the hope we have. It might not all go easy. But even in the storm, as we'll see next week, Paul trusts God. And he listens to God, who says to him, take heart, you'll lose the ship, but no one will be lost. We might lose the ship, might suffer some loss, but we won't lose our life in Christ. And Paul says, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you first and foremost that you've actually told your story to us. You've actually come to us and spoken to us through your prophets, in your word, through your Son and by your Spirit, that we would hear you speak to us and hear you call us into your family. And that you've written our names into your story, into the Lamb's book of life, so that we might have a story to tell. Father, whether it's fear or doubts or just stumbling over words, we pray that you would prepare us as we honour Christ. That you would make us ready to give reason for the hope we have in Christ. Father, we are sorry. We do weep over the times where we feel like we've missed opportunities. But even that, Father, if we trust your sovereign grace, maybe you didn't give us the words to say then. But we pray when opportunities arise that you would, that we would not be anxious, that we'd be keen even, not just to tell our story, but that someone else might actually receive a story of their own, of the transforming power of Christ and the gospel in their life. So, Father, we pray that you'd give us courage, strength, Most of all, just shower your grace upon us, fill us with your spirit so that when we're knocked around, as we've heard before, that would be what actually tips out of us, something of your love, your grace, your son, your spirit, and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.